Hey folks, today's episode's once again brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial by going to www.audibletrial.com slash epicfails. Epic with a K. I'm Eric Slater. I'm Chris Carroll. And this is Epic Fails of History. A podcast that delves into the most epic fails of, um, history. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Well, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. Epic feels. The greatest mistake you can make in your life is that you will be continually fearing that you will make one. Albert Hubbard Hey folks, Eric here on Epic Fails of History. This is part two of our Cuban Missile Crisis special. If you haven't already, definitely check out part one, where we talk about the history of Cuba, the Cold War, Soviet Russia, JFK, the Bay of Pigs, and all the factors that led up to this situation. Good evening, my fellow citizens. Within the past week, unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on that imprisoned island. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. To halt this offensive buildup, a strict quarantine on all offensive military equipment under shipment to Cuba is being initiated. All ships of any kind bound for Cuba, from whatever nation or port, will they found to contain cargoes of offensive weapons be turned back. It shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States requiring a full retaliatory response upon the Soviet Union. Unfortunately, Kennedy was between a chainsaw and a cactus patch, knowing that if he sent in reinforcements, he could dial up the heat on the Cold War to a toasty thermonuclear broil. So over the next few days, President Kennedy is appraised of the situation. He's briefed on what's going on. So he meets with XCOM, dozens of high-ranking military personnel, and the Joint Chiefs of Staff to figure out what to do about this. So the Secretary of State wanted to tactfully lead with an airstrike and then talk later. The Secretary of Defense recommended a full blockade of the island. The National Security Advisor suggested that they just don't respond at all. Luckily, JFK went with the best option, don't panic. And then he decided to blockade Cuba. <laughs> I actually read something interesting about him is that 
I mean, I know there's a lot of people kind of know about, now we know about the fact that he had a lot of like health issues, especially with his back and everything like that. Yeah. Very little response to the fight or flight instinct. So it was where some people would react out of he'd emotion be, or instinctively, he would be super chill and just be like looking at all the facts and weighing evidence. And it really like helped avoid a lot of shitty situations in his life, especially as president. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was one of the reasons he was so good at debating because people would try to be like, you know, switch things up on him and he would just be able to very calmly react and respond. And just that kind of that fluke genetic quirk that he had, yeah, really saved like a lot of lives. Yeah, definitely. Cooler heads prevail. Yeah, and I always thought that was super interesting. The CIA really gets their all their rep from the Cold War, and the the KGB was a major driving force, like world politics. KGB was a boogeyman when I was little. When I heard KGB, I was scared. I was absolutely scared. Even when I hear KGB now, I'm like, no. Yeah. People will ask me, "Would you go to Russia?" Mm -mm. I still wouldn't. I wouldn't have gone. Maybe I might have (laughs) gone, and if I knew about it, I was still I was in high school. So if I went in like '98, when like Boris Yeltsin was there, yeah, Boris Yeltsin's there. Sure, you've got crime waves, and you got this stuff but sure. it's still clear cut who you gotta pay what palm do you have to grease to get somewhere that's fine yeah. now I'm like no cause I, I there's I, like secret police and yeah. crap again it's, yeah. it's, it's scary Ugh. the more you pay attention to anything coming out of Russia the more you're like uh gulp it's it's <laughs> yeah. definitely almost like a mafia mentality the least you know the better off yeah. you are you get that strong man yeah. mentality the guys that you would see playing keep away with the little kid at school like well you so- try to find out who who is a person who wants to be in power yeah because most most people are like why would you want this yeah that's what I used to love about reading about ex-presidents yeah, yeah. their memoirs going out going this this is a horrible job why would you yeah. ever want why this would job? you want to do this a lot of people take negative pay cuts like, to take this yeah. job yeah. there's a lot of presidents that people remember very fondly or think of as very like oh that guy was one of our founding fathers and you look at their actual term as president like they were horrible nepotism of of uh, JFK and RFK today. Uh, yes, and I there. will say that. But in the defense of JFK and RFK, they're both like super they're different. They're very competent. They're right? very like, different, but yes. they were also both very good at what they did. Like, yeah. They were both states. Robert Kennedy yeah. was a born politician. And I honestly yeah. believe if he had ever been elected president, he would have gone down as one of the best. Yeah. You know? the, There's a lot of those guys. The thing I like to put on here is that both he and Martin Luther King died a month apart mm-hmm. from each other. Martin Luther King dies. RFK is in... Uh, New York. So he's given a speech at the time and he gets a report that Martin Luther King Jr. has died. And his advisors are like, whatever you do, you are in a high minority area. Mm-hmm. You don't say anything. I don't, we don't have the security. Yeah. Things get crazy. We don't have the security. He tells them anyway. And he tells them because I really do feel this way. There are certain people who are out there. There are certain people that we actually have in politics today. I consider them generational people. Mm. You can plop them in any generation and they'll work because they know people. Yeah. Like yeah, they yeah. can understand a human emotion and people and they have this. It's the how. Mm-hmm. It's not really the what you say, but how you deliver it. Sure. And he delivered. He's, you know, he told everyone there in the attendance and the way he went about it. Maybe it's the same adrenal gland thing. Yeah. He mm-hmm. did it with such calm and poise and he just told him very earnestly, very honestly that, you know, he's passed. We've just found out he passed away. Um, Blah, blah, blah. And, he, and as he was going through his speech, you could hear people gasp, but that was the height of it. The shock was there. His voice coming over through there, and it, you know, it wasn't writing, there wasn't anything crazy. And you go, only a certain person could have done that. FDR was like that too. Yes. You know, and, and, and not for us, but Churchill. In England, to an extent, mm. he's not as maybe that's how just how we look at him over here. I'm Churchill like, had like a five year run where he was like, yeah. Boom. So during the Blitz is his peak, but 
it's that voice on the radio or that voice in your face or whatever that's telling you that it's keeping you calm and telling you everything's going to be all right. We're going to get through this. We're going to work together. You know, this is this. Yeah, this is a bad situation, but everything's going to be okay. One thing I like about the United States in the most part, and one thing I actually like about people in general is that we tend to, if you're, if you grow, if you grow as a person, you try, you go, you know what? Because we've all done that. All right. So Nikita Khrushchev, interesting cat. Nikita Khrushchev. Yeah. Supposed to be funny. He's supposed to be kind of opposite of Stalin. Stalin was like, you breathed wrong. You were in the gulag. Yeah. No one really liked Stalin. No. But they had to listen to him. You, you feared had... the crap out of Stalin. Yeah. Because Stalin would just put you away. You, the only way Stalin's getting out of power is if he's being dragged because he's dead. Mm. And many plots to try to kill him. Well, that's a different side story. Poison but Nikita, yeah. yeah. Nikita Khrushchev comes in here and we have this different feel. Maybe there's going to be uh, maybe a lessening. Not really detente of the 70s, mm. but maybe this could happen. And actually, we've had the total opposite happen. Yeah. But Khrushchev would, would come and talk. Actually, him and most of the talks that didn't happen between Kennedy and Khrushchev is actually Robert, mm. his brother, and Khrushchev. And our, um, right, yeah. Anatoly. I can't remember his first name to save my life, but basically yeah. they're the Soviet's um, you know, Secretary of State. Oh, uh, Anatoly uh, Dobrin. Yeah, Dobrin. Yeah, yeah. I, told you, I told you I'd get it. I'm in there. <laughs> yeah, good job. It's been, the names are rough. <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. But it's really the talking between those two guys. Um, you gotta think that when this is happening, you have Jupiter missiles put it at, at Turkey. Right. And they're you're about the same distance from Cuba to Washington, mm-hmm. with Turkey to Moscow. Yeah. And so you've got that there. I not sympathizing, but I can understand. Hey, if you're doing it here, how can I put missiles there? If somebody's pointing a gun at you, and you have a gun. You're going to yeah. point a gun you point back it right at back him. at him. Yeah. yeah, and that's yeah. common sense. Yeah. And, Escalation. Man. And with the Bay of Pigs invasion being yeah. it failed, we've already tried to kill Castro. So there Castro was is like, attempts. oh yeah, yeah, dozens. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was uh, at one point the CIA was using exploding cigars. Yep. Like it, it was that crazy. And so he's like, if they're going to get me, and they've got the biggest stick on the planet, give them to me. Because there's nothing stopping them from wiping me out. Mm. But if I have it, I can wipe them out. Yeah. If, if I'm going down, I'm taking you with me type yeah. of mentality. Yeah. So that's why he was so open to doing it. The yeah. blockade's tricky. Because once you put a blockade up, yeah, you can block warships. Warship, warship. You can have that type of thing where they kind of, you know, no one wants to fire first. Yeah. When you try to blockade uh, cargo ships, it gets a little different because you can even know, you damn well know there's nuclear weapons on there and there's armaments. If it's still hidden or still disguised, the PR on that, the mm. way it looks, is that you're hiding food and supplies and you're starving a nation. Mm. So yeah. you're you're in that catch twenty two, and yeah. you know you, you know can I look back? Is it good? Damn if I do, damn if I don't. How do I stop this? And that's the real craziness that was really forming is that how do you now that we put the blockade? How do we get out of it? How do you get a, a peaceful resolution mm. out of this? I, I feel like Kennedy was kind of the right man at the right time. You know, he, for all his flaws, like, just think of, like, any other president in that situation. How would they respond? Can you imagine Chucklehead doing it, like how we got now? Yeah, I don't want to think about that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Really, most of the last ten of them, really. Yeah. (laughs) Well, like Eisenhower, how would he respond? Yeah. 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 Eisenhower was a good president, but... You know, maybe that he wasn't the right. Probably a little bit shorter fuse, one would imagine. Yeah, uh, a little bit more, maybe quick to show off his flex his muscles on it. Yeah, you know? maybe I don't know. Things really could have gone south. He, he's certainly a smart guy. I think yeah. he might have. It wasn't like Nixon was running the show. No, yeah. he, yet he, he would have thought he probably would have thought of that. Uh, 
probably like another tactical coup. Yeah. Like he thought the first time that it was that was he was, was trying just to done get wrong. Let's yep. do it the right way. Let's show him how it's done. Well, and also were they bluffing? You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Like there's a lot, a lot of angles to look at this, and they didn't know all the facts at the time. Yeah, it was it was the it was a cooked up boogeyman. You had a monster. This this theory of containment that we had, we had to keep yeah. keep them all, keep the Soviets contained. This domino theory, and you keep seeing them spread. And any time, it was a recipe for failure. You couldn't win yeah. this because if yeah. a country was going to choose to be communist, you know they're going to choose to be it. Well, then that's a failure on your side. But if you got someone who's not, and you choose a brutal dictator, did you really win? Yeah. You know, and and we started seeing that through Korea. And what was interesting is that reports, again, level heads, a little bit longer, a little bit more facts, a little bit more information, find out that Korea's communism wasn't the same as Russia's. Same as China's. Vietnam. China's communists. They're communists, but not. Ho Chi Minh. Here's another one. Yeah. You want this insane parallel? Ho Chi Minh comes to us first and asks, "Who else?" But Eisenhower, <laughs> again, yeah. um, you know, can you help me? I've been occupied by the French. I've been occupied by the Japanese. I've been occupied by everybody. Yeah. Just, I, I need just some want help. freedom. That's all we yeah, want. Yeah, we want freedom. We want I like that. Rice farmers. And, and I want to get freedom to the people. And there's that, hey, that sounds good. But there's like, wait a minute, what type of people? Communism type of people? Yeah. Oh, we can't, you can't have that, that, that dirty C word come yeah. in here. And it prevented so – it cost so many more wars having that monster, that boogeyman. And McCarthyism in the 50s fueled it for the next thing. I and mean, even today, if you say the word socialism, people start clutching their pearls. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Right. my God. Oh, oh. And I was like, you you drive on a public street. You went to a public school. We rode the same bus together. I like, <laughs> like there's so many things you're yeah. like, I don't know if you know what that word is. I feel like I'm in Princess Bride. Yeah. Inconceivable. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> but we've built up that boogeyman. It's still all of these things. Oh, I love the Cold War and I love teaching. It's my favorite subject. Is that we're only, I tell people, we're only like a half a step out, out of it. Yeah. We're, we're not even a full step out of this, you know, this monster that we've created because we're still living in it. There's still plenty of us that have been through that. And there's not enough people who haven't who've learned about it and go wow we should definitely not do that again um the mistakes of the past really are still there i mean if you want to talk about now president uh, russia president he ex kgb i mean there's there's still so many and he's still glorified he wants to go back to the the glory of a whole episode on that psychopath i mean that glorious glorious (laughs) leader who will take us all into a bright future i for one welcome our ant overlords (laughs) Um, before we move further, I have a few, I guess, I guess you could call them fun facts, but they're not super fun because <laughs> they're all kind of like terrifying. The first one is that, uh, this one is really messed up. The Joint Chiefs of Staff recommended sinking a U.S. ship and blaming the Cubans <laughs> in order to create national support for U.S. invasion of Cuba. It, and when you hear the name, it's not going to surprise you. So the Joint Chief of Staff sent Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara. Oh, McNamara. Yeah. I have no good words. <laughs> I have no good words. He's an insult to garbage. Anyway, Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara receives a list of possible courses of action to garner support for an invasion of Cuba entitled Operation Northwoods. These recommendations were for planning purposes. They're intended to provide a guide for crafting a single plan. Right. So these are like, here's all our potential choices. These are not recommended courses of actions necessarily. Yeah. But some of these suggestions included sinking a ship near the entrance of Guantanamo Bay, conducting funerals for mock victims, blowing up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blaming Cuba, developing a communist Cuban terror campaign by fostering attempts on lives of Cuban refugees in the United States, even to the extent of actually wounding them. 
And the text of the memorandum can actually be seen online. Yeah, uh, that's you want to know why the gov- people don't trust the government. It's that's seeing, the, almost single handedly kind of came Robert out, that McNamara. All. Yeah, oh yeah, that yeah. dude is a messed up so, dude. He should have yeah. ne- like a guy who should never have been in the power. Was there that for there, decades, just way too long. On October twenty fourth, nineteen sixty two, a blockade of American ships surrounded Cuba and moved to intercept the approach of the Soviet vessels. The Soviet ships slowed to a stop, and the two most powerful forces on the planet found themselves in a steering contest. The American Strategic Air Command was upgraded to DEFCON 2, the second highest readiness level, despite what many an action movie would have you know. On October 25, 1962, a U.S. airbase, Volkfield, in Wisconsin, was notified of an intruder alert and someone accidentally set off the wrong alarm, the one that signals of an imminent nuclear attack. F-106A Delta Dart interceptors readied for takeoff. This was not a drill. Luckily, for the sake of the entire world and future of the human race, someone was able to flag down the bombers on the runway before they took off. Oh, and that intruder alert was set off by a very confused bear. That's right, Winnie the Pooh almost caused a nuclear holocaust. American Captain Charles Maltzby, a U-2 pilot running a reconnaissance mission over the North Pole, accidentally strayed into Soviet airspace at literally the worst possible moment. Russian MiG fighters were scrambled to intercept, which prompted two F-102 Delta Daggers to launch from Alaska. The nuclear-armed pilots narrowly avoided a dogfight and guided Captain Maltzby back to base. October 26, 1962, a Titan II test bomber is launched from California's Vandenberg Air Force Base out across the Pacific Ocean. You know, towards the general direction of Russia. For some absurd reason, no one thought this might be a terrible idea considering the circumstances. If that's not bad enough, there was another test in Cape Canaveral, Florida later that day. I repeat, Florida. You know, that state that's only 90 miles away from Cuba. It's almost as though the US were begging the Soviets to try something. You got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Nuclear weapons were armed and ready on both sides. Russian embassies began burning classified documents. The Cubans started digging trenches. American families silently huddled in front of their black and white TVs and old-timey radios, fearing the worst. So, all right, another one. Uh, the, unbeknownst to pretty much everybody on the planet, one particular Soviet officer's reluctance to start nuclear war saved everybody. So, October 27, 1962, American destroyers force a Soviet sub to surface near the quarantine line of the blockade yep. using depth charges, uh, you know, uh, underwater explosions that f- really mess up sonar for submarines if not flat out destroying the vessel. Uh, Unbeknownst to the American destroyer, the sub was carrying a nuclear-tipped torpedo. And the Soviet commander, believing that war was being started, prepared to fire. This wasn't actually declassified until 1992. An American destroyer, the USS Beale, detected a Soviet submarine, a B-59. Four Soviet Foxtrot-class submarines, each equipped with nuclear warheads, Their last communication from Moscow was to hold position and fire if they were attacked. These subs were actually built for colder waters and began malfunctioning. The sub's AC units failed, the temperature was rising to above 100 degrees Fahrenheit, they were running out of food and water, and they needed to surface to recharge their batteries. The crew's only connection to the outside world was a civilian radio broadcast from Miami. The only thing they could do was sit and wait to see if their country was at war. 
The commanders aboard these subs were authorized to use the nukes if they were attacked. The US commanders at the time had no idea that they were dropping signaling charges onto a nuclear-armed Soviet submarine. With the starving, dehydrated, overheated, and stressed out crew, with orders to fire if provoked. Meanwhile, the submarine crew aboard the B-59 had no way of knowing that the charges were warning shots and assumed the worst. Captain Savinsky ordered the preparation of their 10 kiloton nuclear torpedo and targeted the USS Randolph. If launched, the torpedo would instantly vaporize the US destroyer and set off a never-ending chain of radioactive dominoes from London to Moscow. Hear ye, hear ye. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day free trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Today I want to recommend two awesome history books by Brad Meltzer, The First Conspiracy and The Lincoln Conspiracy. The First Conspiracy is all about the secret plot to assassinate George Washington during the Revolutionary War, and The Lincoln Conspiracy revolves around an early Confederate attempt on the life of Abraham Lincoln that was thwarted with the help of the Pinkerton detectives. Both books are must-read for any fan of history, and if you're like me and don't have a lot of free time or energy to read physical books these days, Audible has you covered. I actually met Brad Meltzer back in February at Jack's Book Fest. He was a super nice, down-to-earth dude. This was, of course, right before the pandemic hit, and the entire world, the economy, the American government, Western civilization itself, my writing career, and of course my own sanity completely collapsed inward like the remnants of a dying star. Anywho, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash epicfails with a K. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash E-P-I-K fails for your free audiobook. Oh, and before I forget, all four Epic Fails books are now available on Audible, including Not-So-Great Presidents, by myself, Eric Slater, and Ben Thompson. Huzzah! Hey everyone, Scott here with my good pal Rich. Say hi, Rich. Hi! And we're here today to tell you about a podcast we host together with our buddies Jay and Bill, the RPG After Years. The After What? The RPG After Years. Our show has entered into a new era of covering everything RPGs, both old and new. Thus, it is after its first era. It's the After Years. I thought RPG was Rocket Propelled Grenade. No, RPG stands for Role Playing Game. It's a genre of video game. Every week, we go through the latest news and discuss other relevant RPG related topics. We also review RPGs as we complete them. So, an RPG is not a rabid Portuguese goose? No, thank God. From Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy to The Witcher and Cyberpunk, we've got RPGs covered from the dawn of time to the far-flung future. Oh, I've heard of Final Fantasy. I'd hope so. So check us out on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast listening platform happens to be. You can also find us at probablywork.com. Level up your podcast feed with the RPG After Years. Enjoy the show. Good evening, 003. The following is for your ears only and is classified above top secret by Her Majesty's Secret Service. Our contact with the We Can Make This Work, probably, podcast network intercepted an encrypted audio message 
regarding podcasters assembled. For this season, the Podcast Network is looking to recruit field operatives from around the world to reminisce about the Bond movies and a countdown to the latest film in the franchise, No Time to Die. Your primary objective is to infiltrate podcasters assembled by recording and uploading your submissions at probablywork.com, utilizing a two-way communications device with a built-in microphone, the latest from QBranch. For a full mission report, go to probablywork.com. We're all counting on you, 003. Comrades, this is your captain. It is an honor to speak to you today, and I'm honored to be sailing with you on the maiden voyage of our motherland's most recent achievement. And once more, we play our dangerous game. A game of chess against our old adversary, the American Navy. The captain of the B-59, Valentin Stavitsky, decided it was time to fire back. He said, We will die, but we will sink them all. We will not disgrace our navy. From hell's heart, I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. Fortunately for all of us, authorization was required from three other officers on board the vessel. Two of those other officers were like, yeah, let's do it. And the final one refused. And his refusal saved nuclear war. It was Vasily Arkhipov, the fleet commander, who disagreed with the rest of the crew and ordered them instead to surface to recharge their batteries and figure out the next steps before escalating the situation. If it wasn't for Vice Admiral Arkhipov, the Cuban Missile Crisis would have sparked a full-on nuclear war. That moment might have been like one of the closest times we ever came to uh, just being gone. So there's nothing that, was going to stop. None that. of us would no, be here. No, that would have been. Norad would have said, "Hey, things are going. Missiles yeah. would have been in the air in minutes." Yeah, none All of us would be planet. here today. All, yeah, yeah. Maybe China would still be left just because yeah. there's, you know, they probably some random place there. in Tibet. Boy. Those farmers would have been done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On October 26, 1962, the Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev sent a letter to President Kennedy in response to his statements regarding escalation and warned of the point of no return. He said, Mr. President, I appeal to you to weigh well what the aggressive piratical actions which you have declared the USA intends to carry out in international waters would lead to. You yourself know that any sensible man simply cannot agree with this, cannot recognize your right to such actions. If you did this as the first step towards unleashing of war, well then, it is evident that nothing else is left to us but to accept this challenge of yours. If, however, you have not lost your self-control and sensibly conceive what this might lead to, then, Mr. President, we and you ought not now to pull on the ends of the rope in which you have tied the knot of war, because the more the two of us pull, the tighter that knot will be tied, and a moment may come when that knot will be tied so tight that even he who tied it will not have the strength to untie it, and then it will be necessary to cut that knot. And what that would mean is not for me to explain to you, because you yourself understand perfectly of what terrible forces our countries dispose. Consequently, if there is no intention to tighten that knot, and thereby to doom the world to the catastrophe of thermonuclear war, then let us not only relax the forces pulling on the ends of the rope, let us take measures to untie that knot. We are ready for this. 
Behind the scenes, Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, JFK's brother, reached out to make an offer with Dobrian, the Soviet ambassador to the U.S. In exchange for the removal of the missiles in Cuba, Robert offered two conditions. One, the United States would promise not to try and invade Cuba yet again. Two, the U.S. would secretly remove the Jupiter missiles from Turkey. On October 28, 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis officially came to an end. Nuclear war was averted that day, and the world wouldn't know just how close we came to annihilation until decades later. After both nations had stepped back from the edge of an abyss of destruction, which eventually led to both countries taking steps to de-escalating the Cold War over the next few decades. So that brings me to another question. Um, do you think we're on the verge of another Cold War, or did the Cold War ever really end? I don't think it ever really ended. It I think end. we just switched opponents. Yeah. I think it went from being a singular opponent with the USSR to being, like, worldwide. It, it just changed. Now it's different weapons. It's, like, bombs anymore. It's, like, information. And I, it's, I feel like it ended from, like, 1990 till about... Till when Clinton left office. <laughs> yeah, I really do, until about, like, 2001. And Until all the guys who... The cabinet members that were responsible for the Cold War in the first place got recycled into... Yeah, campaign, there's... You know, like, you look at Rumsfeld and those guys. There's 30 years of Rumsfeld yeah, from the 70s, exactly. 80s, and 90s. And it's, like, all these horrible things that happen. All these same people were tied oh, to it. Man. And when they got put back in power, we went right back to it. Yes, there's people who have... Uh, I mean, and it came down... The one thing that I really like and redeeming factor that I liked about Eisenhower is that he did look upon his presidency. He pretty much his last... That military-industrial complex, that's a letter also to himself as well. Yeah. Admitting, I messed up. I was a part of this. Yeah. I've seen what's happened. I know created what's on. Monster. Yeah. I've created a monster and we can stop it. He's you, telling you, you can stop yeah. this. And the blind loyalty, the blind loyalty was like, well, we just, we have this person in and we just trust them to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good that we do hold people accountable. I think we can use a little, a couple ounces less of cynicism. Yeah. Um, let people actually make the action. And then hold them accountable. We still don't hold people accountable. We we just kind of we 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 yell at them a lot, but no one ever you you jerk. Yeah, no one's responsible for anything. And then it's just like, all right, go. We reelected you. Do it again. Yes, and it's probably going to happen. Yeah, no one ever actually has to pay for. There's not too many crimes people politicians have to pay for. Yeah, honestly, when you think about it, the Cold War, really, probably more than anything, with the exception of the two world wars, changed the entire landscape of the planet. And not geographically, of course, although the nuclear warheads being tested everywhere certainly did that, I'm sure. We expect Godzilla any minute now. <laughs> um, but it eventually ended in the dismantling. Essentially what happened was to, to quote unquote end it is that we just kind of outlasted the USSR. We waited, like we let their economy collapse and we just kind of outlasted them. Mm. You know, we beat them with capitalism, essentially. We, yeah. we conquer a place they- and we build McDonald's and sell Nike and stuff like that and, and pe- Coca-Cola and it's, 
Yeah. We brand everybody to the point where like other countries are like, I'm out of America, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Nike, yeah, Michael Jordan, yep. Spider-Man, Batman, you know. That's our biggest export is our culture. It's like a sentient virus or something. Like, <laughs> but uh, we yeah. we basically outlasted them. Before it, you had the two, at the time, major superpowers left, the United States of America and the USSR. With the dismantling of the USSR, there was no other superpower. For the first time, maybe since like pre- civilized history there was one superpower that was yeah. really unchallenged and this is a global superpower now there were yeah. superpowers who were like i mean if you can go with the the mongols you can or go the romans the romans yeah. you can go with alexander the great who was conquering most of the known world and this one's really you've got one big guy one guy with the, the, the big stick yeah now yeah. here's the other problem that freaked us out and i think that's probably what kept us in check is that you had a severely unstable Russian government mm. with nuclear warheads mm-hmm. that were unaccountable for. They're yeah. still unaccounted for. Yes. There's dozens of them. They have no idea where they went. And and you have them that are not. not yeah. And, and nukes aren't something you could just be like, I got a nuke. Yeah. You got to take care. You got to polish that thing. You got to take care of it. You can't let it sit on no. a shed somewhere. <laughs> no. It can't let it rust. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's that's a whole different story for, yeah. you know, nuclear waste and stuff that oh, we yeah. have. But Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. That should be like near the top of our list of priorities. And yeah. most people don't even know that it's an issue. 55-gallon rust drums with nuclear waste in it yeah. in Kentucky. It's crazy town. It's really scary. <laughs> it really I mean, it's terrifying. The Cold War between the U.S. and USSR lasted from 1947 to 1991. During that time, there were 2,053 nuclear detonation tests. In 1952, the United States tested the first hydrogen bomb a weapon 1,000 times more devastating. In 1961, the Soviets unleashed the Tsar Bomba, the largest thermonuclear device ever detonated, with a whopping 50 megaton yield and a destructive radius of 560 miles. To this day, it's still the most powerful man-made explosion. In the 60s, the US had over 30,000 nukes, and in the 80s, Russia had almost 40,000. Luckily, the two have calmed down significantly since then. Hopefully it stays that way. There are currently nine countries in the world with WMDs. The US, Russia, the UK, France, China, India, Pakistan, Israel, and for some reason, North Korea. God help us all. Any last thoughts, Brett? Study it. I will tell anyone it's probably the most fascinating thing that you'll <laughs> ever study because you'll get to find I, what I tell my students. I was like, "This is the this is the age of James Bond. Yeah, this is the age oh, of yeah. spies, spies the CIA, and the KGB. And, That's and really secret where wars. War was being and yeah. you want like there's no drama on TV that comes a fraction close yeah. to yeah. the craziness, the up like just the absolute craziness that yeah. our government." And third government and governments around the world cooked up stories. I mean, just on a whim. And we were like, yeah, it sounds good. Let's do it. There's there's like two books that I recommend people to read at all the time. So the Encyclopedia for the Cold War. It doesn't read well. Once you'll hear McNamara, you'll hear – you'll get everyone's names. You'll know every Mm. NSA secretary. Just the straight facts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Would be Strategies of Containment, John Lewis Geddes. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. I have it on my shelf. I've given, co- I've bought more be- uh, because I give out copies. And the second book that I want to give everybody because we seem to be knee deep in the Middle East and still we don't have a clue is um, uh, Thomas Friedman's um, From Beirut to Jerusalem. I've heard of that one. Yeah, it's amazing. 
And if you ever wrote this, but as a drama, as a Netflix mm. thing, holy God, yeah. it would be number one because the amount of craziness that really happened between this stuff is just, it's undescribable. You really got to read it. And, and it gives you such a perfect snapshot of the world. And when you look at it, you go, wow, I know that happened in 88, but that's happening right now. Yeah. That can still happen. This is still the same mm. stuff. Like nothing has changed in like a hundred years or more. Yeah. So one last question for you, Brett. If there's one thing that you want your students to be able to take away from your class, what would it be? Oh, man. There's one lesson from history. Just take one second. Take one second and just think. Hmm. Don't react. Don't act. Just take one second. Make sure you're getting the informations in there. Take everything that you've learned in the class. You know, you learn from everything that they've... That the greatest, most wonderful, despicable, evil people in the world has done and figure it out for yourself. Know that you shouldn't just knee-jerk reaction on something. Even though emotions are high, mm. take that one second and think. Mm. The The best thing that you have on you is in between your ears and just use it. It's going to save you a lot of trouble in your life. Well, thank you again, Brett. You were an awesome guest. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on, man. Well, I'm sure we'll have you back at some point. If you dig up in the Cold War, I got 40 years of just gems in here. Yeah. (laughs) There's so much. It's such a rich topic because there's so much, especially with all the spy stuff and everything and the espionage and failed espionages or failed espionage acts, I should say, that you really could spend like a whole side series on just the Cold War. Thanks again to Brett Ricketts for guesting on our episode and for his patience with this episode coming out so late. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on a future episode, feel free to write us on social media. The Cuban Missile Crisis was probably the closest that we've ever come to a doomsday scenario. And I think the biggest takeaway from the entire situation is to not panic. If JFK had lost his cool during this situation, things could have gone south real quick. And I think his calm, collected leadership during that incredibly chaotic time of crisis is a fantastic example for all of us as we face the current predicament we find ourselves in. Stay safe, don't panic, and stay tuned for more epic fails of history. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at Probably Work for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com.